the church is the greatest organization, if you even want to call it that, that you can be a part of in your life. It's better than any club. It's not a club. It's better than any uh, thing that you can join in your life. Even though ch- joining a church does not save you. Can I get an amen? But I'm talking about being a part of a local assembly of believers. When you come together, we come together to worship God. We come together to be encouraged by each other. We come together to feel the love of God. But we also come together under our shepherd, under our pastor, to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Around here, we say Solid Rock Church is a family. We call it SRC Family. And let me tell you something about family. How many of those, everybody's got a family, and some of them's a great family, and some of them is very dysfunctional family. If you, I came from an extremely dysfunctional family, but here's the reality. I'll be honest with you, I think probably 90% of everybody in this room came from some type of dysfunctionality, and the other 10%, you just don't know that it's dysfunctional yet. It, it, just, it just looks like it's not dysfunctional, and they've all fooled you all these years. Every family is dysfunctional in some way. Can I get an Amen. But how many knows family can be messy at times? Life can be messy at times. Anytime you go through any kind of change, it can be messy. People don't like change. One of the reasons people uh, have a problem with the church is that the church... Oh, listen, there's, a, there's a statement that Dr. John Maxwell said years ago in a book, and I've lived by this, and it's very powerful. He says, all growth is change, but not all change is growth. So here's the reality. You can't grow without change, but you can change and not grow. Just because you change something doesn't mean you're growing, but if you're growing, things are going to change. Are you hearing me? Say amen. And when things start changing and people have to adapt or maybe they change the style of music or to, to reach this generation or, or maybe they install some colored lights and, and a cool looking honeycomb or whatever that is thing up there. I still don't even know what it is, but it looks cool. And, and, and they put lights up and all this kind of stuff. If you're not careful, you'll judge that and you'll not understand the motivation. As long as the motivation of that church and that house is to reach souls and not to put on a show, then we've got to be willing to understand that everything's not always going to be like we like it. How many knows, you know, you can choose to just walk away from your family. Or you, most of the time, most of the time that's, that's the, the absolute wrong thing to do. But a lot of times we just deal with, with the people in our family, even the ones that we don't like them, because we'll say, that's family. But it's amazing to me that we will do that for our family, but yet we will walk away from and judge the family of God. Am I preaching right already? The first thing on your life, talking about being messy, the first thing on your notes is this. Church is a part of life, so sometimes it can be messy. Now, I ain't going to ask for a show of hands because I believe it would be 100% unanimous. If not 100% unanimous, it would be very close of how many people at some point in their life have been hurt by someone in the church. There's nothing quite like church hurt. And one of the main reasons that people check out of church is because of other people. Thank you. I will. Here's what some people will say, things like this. I'd go to church if it wasn't for them 
Oh, so you've heard that? I didn't know if you'd ever heard that before. Oh, you've heard that one. Okay, okay, I'm not alone. Oh, I live just as good as them hypocrites down there. I saw your church leader in the club with me last week. See, the subpart of our message today, you belong here, is no perfect people are allowed at Solid Rock Church. What kind of people go to your church? Well, breathing. <laughs> I say that all the time. We got one requirement to come to Solid Rock Church. You just got to be breathing. And sometimes if you ain't even breathing, we'll raise you from the dead and still bring you. Praise God. <laughs> but if you breathe, then you're welcome. But wait a minute. You have got a restriction. I see it. It's in neon lights. There's a certain type of people that are not allowed. Yep. Here in this church, I'm going to make it very clear. There is one group of people where we draw the line, and they are not permitted to worship with us. And that's perfect people. They're not permitted to worship with us. Everybody else is permitted to worship with us, but they are not. They are banned from Solid Rock Church. Dum, dum, dum. You know why I don't feel bad about that? Because everybody knows where I'm going with this. There is no perfect people. Next thing on your notes is at SRC, no perfect people are allowed. Because there is no perfect people. Can I get an amen? Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 tells us that if you don't believe that. Paul says this as he's writing to the Roman church. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have to altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now down here in the south, we've got to say, well, I'll tell you what, that boy's a good old boy right there. That's a good old boy right there. He'll give you a shirt off his back. That boy's a good old boy, I tell you. If anybody's going to make it to heaven, anybody's going to crack the pearly gates of heaven, it'll be him. I ain't never seen nobody like him in my life. Can I tell you something? I, I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't have good. I don't, listen, I appreciate good people. I appreciate people who are good to their neighbors, who, who stop and help people. I'm not saying that it's not, it's not a good thing to pursue to be a good person. But ultimately, we're talking about righteousness. Ultimately, we're talking about being good enough. Ultimately, that's what Paul was talking about, being good enough to judge yourself according to the standard of God's holiness. And no matter how many people you stop on the side of the road and help, no matter how many people you help work on their porch, no matter how many supplies you bring to hurricane victims, no matter how much you love your neighbor and preach love, 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 you cannot earn your way into heaven. If you could, if there was only one in a sin-cursed world that was able to be good enough, it would have been silly and quite frankly stupid. For God to leave all of glory and become flesh and walk among us and, be, and suffer and be beaten. 39 stripes with a cat of nine tails on the back of his head. A crown of thorns pushed to put into the temple of his brain. Nails driven through his hands and feet. Stripped naked and hung up on a cross and, and in shame for all the world to see. How silly and stupid would it have been for him to leave all of glory to come and suffer like that for us if we were capable on our own of being good enough. Am I preaching right? Say amen. amen. So if there are no perfect people, would you agree there are no perfect people? 
Now, some of y'all think, you know, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm <being pretty> good. <laughs> I mean, I ain't calling myself perfect or nothing, but. <laughs> huh? No, you ain't perfect. So if there are no perfect people, and if you agree with that, say amen. amen. The next thing on your notes is this. There is no such thing as a perfect local church. If there are no perfect people, then it makes sense that there is no perfect local church. Because the local church is not the building, it's the people. How many of those, the people is what makes the church? I know I'm going to butcher this because I ain't done it in many years. Remember that? Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. Did I do it right? Man, I ain't done this since I was like 12. That's awesome, man. Here's, do y'all even know what I'm talking about? Does everyone in this church know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Does anyone not know what I'm talking about? I'm going to teach y'all some. Look, all, everybody on this side does not know. I wonder why. Okay, watch this. This is going to change your life. Here it goes. Watch this. Put your fingers like this. Put your fingers like this. Everybody put your fingers like this. Now watch this. Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. Okay, I just destroyed it. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I knew I was going to mess it up. Hey, a per if you ever find a church with two steeples, it's the perfect church. That's what that was. Or it's not of God. One of the two. They're so full of themselves, they had to have two steeples. So see, y'all, tonight, y'all going to be laying in the bed going, oh my goodness, that is awesome. Wow. Woo. See. The church is made up of imperfect people. Therefore, every local church is imperfect. People are going to make mistakes. A lot of people don't do church anymore because of what people have done to them in an imperfect church. 85% of people polled said they don't do church every Sunday because of what they feel like they could never measure up to the perfect people. That they think that they are in the house of God. You ever heard anybody say like this? I'd love to come to your church, but I don't have anything to wear. What that means is we have somewhere generations ago, we have created an idea that you have to look a certain way, talk a certain way, and act a certain way to be a part of a church. You know, we say we have we have a no we have a 100% no guarantee policy. We're not giving you any guarantees here other than the fact that we're going to sing about Jesus and we're going to preach the word of God. But even the ones that are singing about Jesus and preaching the word of God are imperfect. So we're not guaranteeing you that nobody's ever going to get hurt, nobody's ever going to disagree with something, maybe be offended by something. You ever seen those things on TV? Where they sell a certain product, and they'll say, if you act now within the next 30 seconds, you can get it for $19.99. But there's always this, but wait, there's more. If you call within 30 seconds, we'll give you another one. And it used to be, all you have to do is pay shipping, and then it went to shipping and handling, and nobody knows what, knows what the handling is. Now they just don't even care. They drop the shipping and handling, and they say, all you have to do is pay a separate fee. I laughed the first time I saw that. What is that? What is a separate fee? It costs $19.99 for one. I got to pay a separate fee for the second one. Is it $19.99 again? 
1995. Thank you, saved four cents. 697 because you did it, didn't you? Okay. It's 697. Okay, for anybody who's wondering what the separate fee is. But if you ever notice, it says, if you don't like this product, there's a 100% money-back guarantee. You ever seen that? It's amazing to me they say 100% money-back guarantee, but yet there's an asterisk beside it. Right beside 100% money-back guarantee, asterisk. You look down at the bottom, little bitty letters, it says, some restrictions apply. We know what that means. That means whatever you did to the product, you're restricted. You just broke the restrictions. We guarantee that it will internally, there's, there's a bolt inside that holds it all together. We guarantee that bolt will never come out. But if you drop it, if you break it, if you step on it, if it stops working, if you plug it in, it smells like something's burning. All of those are not covered under the 100% money back guarantee. Because those are things that you did to it. You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't cover your damage that you did to it. And we accept that. But yet, we go to church, we find a church, and we expect there to never be anything ever done, said, or operate in that house that is going to upset us. So we check out. We keep buying products that break, but we check out of the greatest idea in the history of humanity. It was in the mind of God to create something called the church. We dump billions and billions of dollars into football programs and entertainment. And uh, many of the people that we are making mega rich openly curse the God we believe in. And we continue to buy their CDs, download their music, watch their movies. But yet, we got a problem with the, with the preacher man. We got a problem with the church. Am I preaching good? I've said for, for years, this is, goes out to all the church hoppers out there that hop from church to church to church. What are they looking for? They're looking for the perfect church. Well, if you ever, do, if you ever succeed and you do find it and you say, my God, I have found the Holy Grail. It is the perfect church. Can I give you a bit of advice? On behalf of all those people in that perfect church, do not walk in the door. Because the moment you walk in the door, you have destroyed the first and only perfect church. Because you will cancel out everyone else's perfection. How many knows I'm being silly? I'm being funny? Because you're not going to find that church. From the pastor, to the worship leader, to the youth pastor, to the media guy, to the car parker, to the nursery worker. We're all people who love God and love this house and are doing everything in our power to serve you and your family. But we are imperfect. We're human. I'm sure many of you have been hurt or confused by church in your past. Maybe even presently. You may have been hurt by this church. I used to say this all the time, and I realized that people didn't know how to take it, so I, I backed off from it a little bit, but I feel like it's probably good for me to say it today. I used to say this all the time. If, I, if I've never hurt or offended you in this church, hold on, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Not intentionally, 
But, I, but you know why I know it's coming? Because the longer you stay and do life with some, somebody, the more you begin to realize there are imperfections in that person. You put the name Reverend out in front of my name. I've always hated that. I hate being called Reverend. How's it going, Reverend? Oh, it just drives me nuts. Because that's religion's way of trying to make me holier than you. You know, you know what else I hate it? Is it puts too much pressure on me. I don't want to be the reverend and you be the, oh, you're not reverend. He's reverend, you're not. Oh, I'm not a reverend. Oh, no, I'm not a reverend. What you're trying to say is, oh, I can do some things in my life that he can't do. <laughs> Am I preaching right? I don't want that. I don't want that pressure. Your pastor, everybody in your life is imperfect. God never wants people to be hurt, especially by the church. But it will happen because it's imperfect people. And the main reason this happens is because it is people. I remember Rod Parsley, when I was young in the ministry, I didn't have a pastor. We first started our church, and I didn't know Pastor Frankie. That's my bishop and my spiritual father and my pastor now. It was long before we became a, well, a few years before that. So I looked for, I said, God, I got somebody speaking in my life. Had nobody speaking my life. So I fell in love with this guy on TV named Rod Parsley. You ever heard Pastor Rod Parsley? Ward Harvest Church, Columbus, Ohio. I thought, my God, he's preaching in a way that nobody else from TBN is preaching. I love this man. I started mimicking him. I started preaching his sermon. People, people come up to me after church. They say, man, you sound just like Rod Parsley. I'll be like, yes. Because that's what I, all I want to do. But what I'm trying to say is, I didn't have a pastor, so I made him my pastor. My wife will tell you this. So we didn't hardly have any money, but I, I basically had to negotiate with my wife uh, to, to get her to agree to allow me to buy the 1991 uh, Dominion Camp Meeting VHS tape collection of his camp meeting. Come on, somebody. 1991 and 1992 VHS. I still got them. Yes, I still have a VHS player somewhere. Praise God. Now, I watched those tapes so many times that I could quote them word for word. In fact, I knew T.D. Jakes before anybody else knew T.D. Jakes. Because in 1991, before he had ever gone nationwide and ever been on Praise the Lord, nobody even knew who he was. Rod Parsley took a chance on him and put him in his Dominion camp meeting in 1991. I remember it like it was yesterday. He was wearing a baby blue suit from top to bottom, white shirt and blue, a white shirt and blue tie and blue suede shoes. Come on, somebody. And here's this unknown T.D. Jakes preached a sermon called The Sacrifice of Praise. I'll never forget it. I could quote it word for word. I'd say in my office, right before I'd go out of my little cubbyhole office there in the barn, I'd put in a tape of T.D. Jakes or put in a tape of Rod Parsley, and I'd walk back and forth in that little office, and my pastor would preach to me through that TV screen. One of the things he said in 1991 is he said, I'll never forget it. Rod Parsley, look, and I, 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 I mean, he said it to me a hundred times. He said, God, I know you're the Alpha and the Omega. I know you are the beginning and the end. 
I know that you are the A and the Z. I know that your will is for me to start out in A, and you're going to walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death, and you're going to take me all the way to Z. It is your will for me to go from A to Z. But God, I got to tell you, I ain't never made it to Z because I always get stuck at P. He said, every single time I feel like I'm going to make a disease, I hit P. I hit problems. I hit persecution. I hit people. Come on, somebody. He said, if you could just let me jump over people, this would be an amazing life. He said, every single time, God said, you don't have a ministry without people. You can't do my will without dealing with people. Am I preaching right? The church is full of people. The church is full of people. And the church should be full of people of all races of all financial backgrounds, of all ethnicities. We shouldn't segregate on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Well, I thought I'd get an amen better than that. Hey, look around. We don't believe in that here. Hey, come on, somebody. We believe in one body. Praise God. Church is made up of people of all different backgrounds. All different personalities. You're sitting next to, there's somebody next to you that's a loudmouth. See, I, the loudmouth went ahead and raised their hand and said, yes, me. Had several loudmouths going, you're right, I'm right here. And on the other side or right around you, you're sitting next to somebody that's completely introverted and don't even want you to know that they're even here. They're just sitting there going like, Every time, every time somebody says, turn around, shake somebody's hand, they're like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh, praise God. I understand that. But how many knows everybody in the entire spectrum, from outgoing to introverted and everybody in the middle, is welcome in this house. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. I gotta hurry. But inevitably, how many knows nothing hurts? Like when somebody in your family hurts you. Well, the biggest lie that's ever been told to humanity, how it got in, it was, it was literally a trick of the devil that this got into our vocabulary. And it goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I mean, that's the biggest lie that we have ever told ourselves. Because I'm telling you, some of the words that have hit me, I would have rather somebody take a Babe Ruth baseball bat, that's between me and my brother over there, and beat the stew out of me than have to deal with the mess and the, and the repercussions of the deep wound of the words. Here's why people turn on the church when they've been hurt. Next thing on your notes is this. Hurt people hurt people healed people help heal people hurt people hurt people healed people help heal people let me tell you something when you come upon a wounded animal that's a wild animal 
I don't care how compassionate you feel for that wounded wild animal, especially if they're hurt, they're going in their pain. It's almost like in the elf, remember the movie Elf, when he sees the raccoon? He's like, what's the, what's the matter with you? You just need a hug. One of my favorite scenes of Elf. Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Watch it. It's holy and anointed. Actually, it's not, but it's funny. But you don't come up on a wounded, wild animal and just go over and say, hey, buddy, come here. Let me, let me pet you. Because watch what happens. They're hurt. And they're looking through their pain, and they're receiving you through their pain. So therefore, their pain is overshadowing what your intentions are. And if that, pers- if that animal lives in their pain, they anticipate you are coming to finish them off. So in, the only way they can deal with their pain is to bite you and to hurt you. That's why hurt people hurt people. Miserable people try to make other people miserable. And social media has done nothing to help it. It's only hurt it. Come on, somebody. Because used to, we at least had to go talk to somebody face to face. Now we can air it all out and go to bed and not worry about the repercussion. But see, when you allow God to heal you, you are not motivated to hurt someone. If you allow God to heal you, you are motivated to see people in their pain and desire for them to be healed as well. That's what the local body of Christ is supposed to be like. The church is strong, y'all. The church is not going under. The church is not going under. You may think it, and the world may tell you that, but the church is not going under. The Bible said he is coming after a church that is without spot and blemish. There's a line being drawn in the sand. Some people are still trying to play church, but God wants us to be the church. See, you need to understand what the church is. You need to understand what church means. Let's back up one one scripture and show you this. He looked at Peter. Peter, how many of us, Peter was imperfect. I'm talking about in the same chapter, in the same conversation. He looks at Peter. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, all these others saying all the ones he, Peter said, I'll tell you who you are. You're you're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Oh, Peter, that was good. Peter, that was good. Ain't no way you knew that on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven showed that to you. And I'm going to tell you something. Peter, you are the rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Peter's like, that's right. You go ahead and tell him. I'm the rock. Yeah, I'm the rock. Cephas. Call me Cephas now. I'm, that, by the way, f- some people think his name was rock when he said upon this rock. If you go back and look at the original, the original word Cephas or Petros, Petra and Petros. He was called Petros instead of Petra. Petra means rock. He was called Petros, which means little pebble. Doesn't mean big giant rock. He was just like, he was like, yeah, upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gate shall not. He said, you are Peter, which is Petros, little rock. And upon this rock, big rock, Petra, Petros, I mean Petra is the big rock. That's the bedrock confession of what just come out of your mouth is what I'm going to build the church on. Peter's like, yeah, that's right. You tell him. You tell him, I don't care if I'm a little rock. Didn't nobody else get called a little rock? Few verses later, Jesus says, all right, now that I've told all, all that, 
In order for any of this to happen, I got to tell you, I got to go into, I got to go into Jerusalem and die. But don't worry. They can destroy this temple in three days. I'll build it back. It's all going to be good. Peter stands up and says, Psh. you don't forgot who I am. Obviously, I'm standing right here. Hello. If the gates of hell can't prevail against me, I'll just stand in front of you and protect you. Ain't nobody killing you. I'll die before you die. Same conversation. Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Not to Satan, but to Peter. He says to Peter. Peter, get behind me, Satan. What you're saying is not. He said, let me tell you something, Peter. Satan has desired to have you. To sift you as wheat. He said, I already know about your imperfections. I already know what you're going to do. He, then he tells him, listen, before the rooster even crows in the morning, you, Peter, will deny you even knew me. Can you imagine what Peter felt like? Peter's like, you don't know me. God is like, I know you better than you know you. He said, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. And I love that he didn't stop there. He said, but I have prayed for you. That in that hour of your temptation, you will be converted and your words will encourage your brothers. In other words, what he was prophesying is, you're going to deny me. It's going to look like it's over. But I'm going to show you how I use imperfect people. I'm going to cause you in just a matter of days to stand up in an upper room and create something that will last for all eternity called the church. There was a temple that you went to, but there had never been a church of believers before. And God chose the most imperfect, unlikely person ever to stand up in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning of the New Testament church and be the first one to preach. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter was the rock, and his words, after he had repented for denying Christ, encouraged Another 119 people. And the church was birthed in a room of imperfect people. One of them had already killed himself, and the other 11, the Bible said, all had fled for their lives. But God said, my strength is not based on your perfection, and my strength in this church will never be built on a man. It is built on the Word of God. In fact, the next thing on your notes is this. The word church in the original language is the word ecclesia. When you hear the word church, when he says, upon this church, upon this rock I'll build my church, it's the word ecclesia. And it means the called out ones. See, we want the, ch we want the world to come in and, and, wait, and what we've done is we've compromised who we are to look like the world when the Bible says that they're supposed to be, I'm not talking about the way you dress, makeup and hair, all that mess that many of us had to work through over our lives to find out what true holiness is. I'm not bashing people either. Don't flip this on me. I'm not bashing people who believe in the old time holiness way. If that's between you and God, that's between you and God. But the reality is this, God looks on the heart of man. But here's the reality. 
We have compromised who we are to reach the people. And when people finally come here, they can't find anything different about here than they found in the club. In fact, the truth is, they have more acceptance and relationships in the club than they do in the church. And here's the thing. Some of y'all shouting me down, but you ain't doing nothing about it. You didn't go to a small group. You ain't led a small group. We have an activity to minister to the community. You watching your show on Netflix. Well, you're called out. Jesus said, come out from among them and be separate. There's supposed to be something about you that not just legalistic separation, but a joy, a peace. A love that cannot be attained in the world. That would cause people to want what you have. But here's what we do. We do religion. Because religion satisfies the flesh. But is a war against the spirit. Religion is man's way of taking something simple and making it difficult. Here's how simple it was. They met together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They ate together. And the church exploded. That's all it is. They prayed for each other. Miracles happened. The church exploded. But now we've made it about buildings, and we've made it about lights, and we've made it about screens, and we've made it about social media and live stream. Listen, I'm thankful for those who watch on live stream, but I'm going to tell you something. Just like social media, live stream is one of the worst things that ever happened to the church. Sorry for those that watch every week. Appreciate the fact that we have an opportunity for people when they're on vacation or at work and they get to watch it and a replay of it. But we have an entire generation of people that could be at church but are not at church and sitting at home watching on their phone or sitting at home and watching on TV and they have no social relationship with the church. And it's a lot easier to check out and a lot easier to judge on the other side of a screen than it is when you're sitting in the room. Can I get an amen? In church, Mattel, what we do, we put people on pedestals. We especially put the pastor on the pedestal. We put people of leadership on a pedestal. Why? Because we want them to live a certain level of integrity that we are not willing to live ourselves. Are you hearing me? We, I'm going to say it again. We want them to live at a certain level of integrity that we are not willing to live ourselves. Therefore, we have something to judge when he messes up or she messes up. But here's the reality. When you've done that, when he falls off, not if, but when he falls off your mighty pedestal that you've put him on, you put me on a pedestal, I'm going to fall off your pedestal. Because I was never intended by God to be your God. Why is it that you act different when I walk up than you, than you act when anybody else walks up? I mean, it's not like I have a closer hotline to heaven than, than they do. Some of y'all think i got a special number that I call. Hey, Jesus, you ain't going to believe what I saw at Walmart. I walked up on them, and they was looking at think making me look like they was reading the sports article, but <laughs> they had it turned the wrong way. Mm -hmm. As soon as I walked up, they started saying, Oh, I'm blessed by the blood of Jesus. Good to see you, man of God. Woo, I just felt the Holy Ghost when you walked up. That's what they said, Jesus. So are we good? Are they good? Okay, good. All right, bye. How many of us, I can't do that for you? You put man upon a pedestal like that, you will fall when they fall.
when Jimmy Swaggart fell for all the world to see, some of the younger people don't even know who he is, but when Jimmy Swaggart fell, thousands of people fell with him. Why? Why would you fall when a television preacher fell? He's not even your pastor, but what if he was your pastor? Still, why is your relationship with God and your commitment to his idea called the local church tied to someone else's action? Can I preach a little bit? The greatest and famous, most famous Christian, I said it earlier, you know, there's two of the most famous Christians in the Bible that ever existed in history, not just in the Bible, the history of humanity is Peter and Paul. But the reality is Paul is probably the most famous Christian because he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Everything we know about grace, about mercy, about the gifts of the Spirit, about how to flow in the gifts of the Spirit, how order is supposed to flow into the house of God, everything we know about resurrection, the power of resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, on and on and on. We learn from Paul. How many of us, when we get to Paul, man, in our mind, we think Paul's mansion is going to be gigantic and we'll just be happy to live in a, in a shed next to him. Praise God. Because that's the image that we have of Paul. You ever say anything like this? Well, I'll tell you one thing right now. I'm, I'm doing my best, but I can never be Paul. I can never be Peter. I can never be. Those were the apostles. I could never be like them. Those were the apostles. They were just people imperfect the third time that peter denied jesus christ he cursed and denied him didn't curse the kid he cursed jesus jesus was big picture are you thankful that jesus is big picture i want you to listen from the message version the greatest example of christian and man of god what he said in a prison writing from his pain. Romans 7, I'm going to read from the message version because it really drives it home. Verse 17. But I need something more. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. That's Paul. Something deep within me gets the better of me every time. The next thing you notice is this. The Apostle Paul was transparent about his imperfection. Yet, he was a major church leader. He had an encounter with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, but it took him three years This is how religious even the New Testament church was. He knew there was no way because of all that he had done to the church could he just show up in Jerusalem and start preaching the gospel. He had murdered and killed. He held the coach while they killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr. But for three years, the Bible said he went into the deserts of Arabia and got on his face before God and had personal conversations with Jesus Christ. And even then, after three years later, 
word was finally out. Everybody knew that he had been converted to Christianity. But the Bible says when he, still when he would come into a city, even the church people would reject him. They would say, we don't want to listen to them about what he has to say. Don't you know what he has done? Imperfect people. Judging imperfect people. Wondering why the church is in the mess that it is. If people were judging Paul, who had spent three years personally having conversations with Jesus, another time the Bible says not only was he shipwrecked, not only was he beaten with whips, he was stoned and he died in the streets. It is definitely, the Bible says, stoned and left for dead. He later on recounts it. I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. That was referred to whether, whether he's dead or alive. I could not tell because of what had happened to him. I can tell you this. Jewish history will tell you that every time they had a stoning, a public stoning, they also had a physician there, and they would not leave the stoning until the physician declared them dead. So the Bible said they left him in the streets after a stoning, meaning they left him dead. And Paul said that man in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, was talking about himself, was caught up into heaven, into the third heaven, to have personal conversations with Jesus, to where much revelation was given directly from Jesus in a glorified body, and then sent back to his body as his disciples and his friends prayed for him. The Bible said he got back up and was raised from the dead right there in the street and continued to preach the gospel. The same man that said, I begged the Lord to take away this demon that is tormenting me. This spirit sent to buffet me three times, I asked God. And all three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you. How many of sometimes we've got to go through stuff to find out who we are? So as I close, let me say this. We are. And as is church. I mean, come as you are. Okay? There's only one requirement to come to Solid Rock Church. You've got to be breathing. Fresh breath in your body, you're welcome. I'm going to close with a story. Some of you know who this man, his name is John Richardson. Call him Jumping John. He don't jump as much as he used to. Like all of us, getting a little older, but he still jumps. John Richardson is a legend, one of the greatest preachers that's ever come to the state of Alabama and it's a nation in this world. He is a legend in me and Sandy's life. He made such a difference in our life, in our young married life and young ministry life. But his story of, of, of redemption is one of legend. He was a part of Chicago games. He had witnessed murders. He had held his sister in his in his hands when she was shot and murdered he tells graphic story after graphic story he had never heard the name jesus in his entire life except in a curse word his wife behind his back went and did something that infuriated him she went and got saved she came home and told him about jesus he loaded a pistol put it to her head and said, you're not going to bring that mess in my house. I don't want it. I'm going to kill you now, and then we'll kill myself. And pulled the trigger to blow her brains out, and the gun would not work. Wasn't long after that, tore up jeans, no shirt on. Because he very rarely said, when I walked around the streets of Chicago in my gangs, had they ever wore a shirt? Because he's always looking for somebody to say something to him and pick a fight. He found that little mission, little mission church. Right in downtown Chicago. 
that his wife had been sneaking in. He said, I can't, if I can't kill her, then I'm going to embarrass the whole church. I'm going to go in there. He was a professional fighter, fought George Foreman and many others. This man's, there is not an ounce of fat on this man's body. He said, I'm going to go in there just like I am. No shirt, raggedy pants. I look like I hadn't took a bath in days. I'm going to whoop the pastor's tail right in front of the whole church. So he walked in. He stood on the back row with no shirt on in church. I want you to imagine somebody came in our church, no shirt on whatsoever. Sit down in the back of the mission, no shirt on. Look at that pastor. That pastor was preaching. He would look at him. He'd say, I see you looking at me. I see you. I see you judging me. Come on. I dare you. I dare you to walk down off that pulpit and walk straight towards me. I dare you to say a word to me about not having a shirt on. Because the moment you come back to me, I'm going to plow my fist right in your nose. I'm going to break your nose in front of your whole church. And let's see how your church people feel about you then. Sure enough, in just a few minutes, preacher steps off the platform and starts heading right towards John Richardson. He tells a story. He said, I was shaking. I pulled up both my fists. I played the snares in my mind. I was going to tear his butt up in front of everybody. He walked straight up to me. He took his jacket off. He's like, oh, okay, you're getting ready. <laughs> and he said, hey, brother, such a blessing to have you with us today. I know we got the air cold in here. You don't have to. You're good just like you are. I was just preaching. I was just thinking you might be cold. If you are, here's my jacket. You can put it on if you're cold. But if not, you're good just the way you are. Welcome. It's good to have you. And he walked off and started preaching. He said, I felt my fist. It's opened up. And he said, what I never expected to happen, happened. Tears came to my eyes. And I felt the love of God. Listen, through the local church. And he said, the next thing I knew, I was walking down that aisle, no shirt on, standing before a preacher that I was getting ready to knock out, listening to him lead me in a prayer of repentance. Now, I know I'm over time, but, I, but because of tonight, you need to hear the rest of this story. John Richardson has told this story hundreds of times. I've heard him personally tell it probably ten times. He said it wasn't long after that God began to tell him that he was a preacher. He didn't know nothing about the Bible or what he would call the weight of God. If you know, if you know, you're going to church and the word of God. It's the way he taught. He was sitting in his bathtub in Chicago. And his wife was in the next room. They had praise and worship music on. And he said, okay, God, I surrender. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. He said, God spoke to him in that bathtub and said, get up, clean up. Audible voice of God. And go tell your wife that you are going to Alabama. He had never been to Alabama in his life. 
he did not know one single person in Alabama. He walks in there and he tells his wife, God said I've got to go to Alabama. In Chicago. She's like, Alabama? Why do you need to go to Alabama? We can preach right here. This is where your family is. He said, because God said, my last day revival that will sweep the whole world will start in Alabama. And you are to be a part of my, and to till the ground for the last day revival that is prophesied in Scripture that will go all over the world. It will start in Alabama. So this man packed his car and drove to Alabama. And for most of his life and most of his ministry, 90% of the places, and just till recently, that he is preached in and his family still lives in Chicago, he would fly or drive from Chicago and preach for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in Alabama and then go home and see his wife. Sometimes bring his wife and kids back to Alabama and would book churches all over the state of Alabama because he knew if I'm going to be a part of what God is doing, i got to be a part of what God is doing in Alabama. That's pretty powerful. The pastor of the largest church in the world, Dr. Yonggi Cho, who pastors a church in South Korea of almost 2 million active members that attend every Sunday morning, was praying many years ago in a vision and said, God, show me the last day revival. And God showed him a map. He's in, China, I mean, he's in South Korea, in Asia. And in that map, Dr. Yang Yi Cho said he showed him North America. And then out of North America, the southeast came out. And then out of the southeast, the state of Alabama came out. And out of the state of Alabama, the top third of Alabama came out. And he said, God said, this is where it will begin. That's us. On the other side of the world and in Chicago, God is telling great men of God what we are taking for granted here, God wants us to be a part of. We cannot miss this moment. This is us. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this.